This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, March 28, 2018. I'm Caleb Brown. The Trump tariffs on steel and aluminum have gone into effect, but on a much smaller subset of countries that import steel into the U.S. Inu Monik is a visiting scholar at the Cato Institute. She describes what that means for trade, for retaliation from countries like China, and the strange means by which this president wants to shrink the so-called trade deficit. So the steel and aluminum tariffs on all other countries that haven't been exempted so far have gone into effect. So there have been exemptions granted to Argentina, Brazil, Canada, Mexico, the European Union, and South Korea. Four of those are the top four importers uh, of U.S. steel. So basically, they're excluded, uh, but there's still others that are being negotiated. So the United States has basically said that Other countries have to now negotiate bilaterally exemptions, and that they have to do by the end of April. All right. So uh, you said that the top four countries that are importers of steel to the United States are exempted. And I remember the discussions we had just a few weeks ago that if you're trying to target China for these national security tariffs, what a terrible way to do it. But frankly, it seems like it's becoming a better way to do it the more countries that are exempted. Yeah. So at this point, um, the only shocking exclusions from the exemption have been Japan. Uh, But this may be done on purpose in a way to get Japan to the table uh, to start negotiating bilateral trade deal with them. Uh, But yes, when it comes to the others like Russia, China, Taiwan, uh, and Japan included, they make up 24% of all the steel the U.S. imports. Uh, So they're a smaller portion of the overall target, uh, but it does seem to be targeting uh, the countries that President Trump wanted to target at this point. So if the other exemptions stay, then that's fine. But they're going to expire at some point uh, within the next month. And if these other countries can't come up with a deal, there's a problem there. Okay, so how has China responded? It appears, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, it appears that China is trying to work within existing institutions to undertake some sort of retaliation for the tariffs the U.S. has placed on its aluminum and steel. Yeah, that's right. So China is taking up the same legal argument the EU actually put forward earlier and is treating the tariffs as a safeguard measure. So all this means is that under WTO rules, China can retaliate through imposing its own tariffs once the tariffs are imposed uh, on it from the United States. Uh, So China just requested consultations with the United States on these measures, the WTO yesterday. So we have to see how that plays out. They haven't initiated any retaliation yet, uh, but they are trying to decide on a final retaliation list. And this could include a really wide range of products from ag to airplanes and also possible restrictions on tourism to the United States. So China is getting ready uh, to retaliate if it needs to. Uh, but right now it's going through the WTO process and treating this as a safeguard measure. So restrictions on tourism, that is restricting Chinese people from visiting the U.S.? Yes, that's what uh, one of the reports has uh, said. And that, and that really highlights the uh, sort of standard um, economic argument about trade, which is, you know, uh, trade restrictions are you holding a gun to your people's head and then we respond by doing the same thing. 
Exactly. So it really is the beginning of a trade war if this does you know, get into play. So I think that China doing this is saying, look, uh, we can we can hurt you too, and we'll even hurt our own people uh, in, in some respect as well. So this is definitely going down the wrong path. All right. So where do you expect this to be at the end of April if, uh, you know, th- it's, it seems, again, it seems as if the president likes to get a really good headline out of something and then slowly back away from that position to something that is, you know, reasonable. I mean, that's entirely possible. But at the same time, what we're seeing now, particularly with uh, two trade agreements, so Chorus, I'll go with that one first. So it seems like Korea has already dealt with this issue uh, of the continued exemption through Chorus. And they just announced that basically they were going to agree to reduce their steel exports to the United States by 30 percent of the past three-year average. Uh, So they seem to have come to some sort of agreement with the United States, and then they'll get a permanent exemption, or, or so it seems. That's what will be the outcome of that. Now, Lighthizer has been pushing for the linkage now of this to NAFTA in a way, not explicitly, but it seems like it, because he's basically said that he wants an agreement in principle by March 31st and a full legal scrub of the text by May 1st. Now, that's the day that these tariffs would go into effect. Uh, So it looks like that, you know, he is trying to push for completion in order to get the exemption here. uh, And we'll see how that works out. But really, it seems like the administration is using these tariffs as leverage to get other deals negotiated by other countries. How successful will that be? I'm not sure how successful it'll be. Uh, With Korea, it seems like they are getting what they want. Um, But again, when we look at what the measure is, what the you know, provision that we've seen so far, it looks like a voluntary export restraint uh, on the part of Korea. Now, this has not been used as a policy uh, since the WTO uh, took effect in 1995. So it's it's a little troubling that this is the route that they're going. Maybe there's other ways that they're going to deal with in other agreements. I mean, in NAFTA, they might do this through uh, increasing uh, steel uh, content, uh, U.S. steel content um, in autos or by including steel in a tracing list uh, within autos. So that's definitely possible. But to the extent that they go for voluntary export restraints, I would be more concerned about this. And it's certainly possible that they'll make this happen, but it is something to be alarmed about for the future of world trade. One of the key elements of uh, the president's trade policy is reducing the trade deficit. Now, there are numerous points to be made about how meaningless trade deficits are, how they actually represent just more stuff and wealth coming into the United States. Um, so that's a separate discussion. But how functionally is is that element of uh, the president's trade policy moving forward? So it appears that one way they're going to try and tackle this is through a current uh, issuing of tariffs that may come into effect uh, in the near future, which is part of Section 301. And Section 301 is a statute that's rarely used that grants authority to USTR to deny U.S. trade benefits or impose duties in response to certain foreign trade barriers, including unreasonable or discriminatory action uh, that harms U.S. exporters or service providers or IP holders. And they're Doing this now, uh, the announcement came uh, against China, and the proposal is $50 billion worth of trade uh, that comes in uh, from China would face about a 25% tariff. So this 
seems to be one of the ways they're trying to rebalance this. And this is all part of an investigation that USTR started last year. Uh, and the report claims that China has essentially uh, been using um, IP transfer and certain policies uh, to transfer technology from the United States, from U.S. companies, uh, and also facilitating the acquisition of U.S. companies and their assets to get their technology to build stronger Chinese competitors. All right. So, you know, there's a lot of very, you know, intuitively upsetting parts of the way that uh, China allows foreign direct investment in its country. You have to have a Chinese partner. You have to uh, essentially empower that Chinese partner with access to a lot of intellectual property and a lot of uh, the technology that maybe was developed out of the country, you know, what what should free marketeers think about that kind of policy? I think it's problematic, and it is pretty clear that China has been a persistent violator uh, of IP rules, um, and then also in terms of uh, pressuring uh, companies to sign these contractual agreements uh, in order to uh, acquire the technology that they've created. So my colleague Jim Backus actually recently noted that about 70% of the software in China is pirated, and that the cost to the U.S. economy of pirated software, counterfeit goods, and theft of trade secrets could be as high as 600 billion dollars. So this is this is of concern. Uh, but at the same time, this isn't a dispute in which the U.S. can be both judge and jury. And we should be taking this to the WTO uh, and dealing with it there. Uh, there was a request for consultations made uh, by the U.S. on March 23rd. Uh, but it doesn't cover all the issues that were outlined in the 301 report. Um, but it's still a step in the right direction. And I hope that they do go this route instead of taking unilateral action, because that could definitely trigger a trade war. Inu Monik is a visiting scholar at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play. And follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 